Good morning, GYC. Happy Sabbath. Happy New Year. I know I keep saying this, but it's just a joy to be with you all this morning. It's a joy. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Whether this is your first morning or your second morning, your third morning, let's go over what we've been talking about because repetition deepens the impression, right? The purpose of our time together in these mornings has been how can we have meaningful devotions for the rest of our lives? How can we have that communion with Jesus for the rest of our lives? It's not something we have to be like, oh yeah, I should. It's just something we just do. Just like we wake up, we just pray. Just like we go about and get our food, we just study the Word of God. It's just something we do. Our focus has been on these paradigms. On Thursday, we talked about prayer, that Jesus can handle whatever you share, however you share it. Faith is seeing him, even when you can't see how he can, that we should lean into the painful and the difficult with him. Yesterday was about Bible study, that Jesus wants to comfort you with his word because the truth is comforting. Believe all that God says. With the Bible and the Holy Spirit, God can teach you anything. So if Thursday and Friday were about prayer and Bible study, I mean, there's other things that I highly recommend your devotional time. Two of my personal favorites are something with music, singing, listening to music. Also a huge fan of journaling. Strongly recommend a journal. So we've already talked about those things. And what are we, what are we talking about today? What other devotional activities are there? Well, today we're actually going to talk about what prayer and Bible study accomplish. So we talked about how we should approach prayer, how we should approach Bible study. I stand by all those statements, but now that we have a better understanding of what we do in prayer, what we do in Bible study, now I'm going to tell you what they accomplish. The title of our message this morning is Grounded. And I'll tell you why. In the previous messages, I've kind of explained things, and then I'm like, and then here's the main point. But this morning, I'm going to tell you right now the main point of this entire message, and then we're going to unpack it together. That sound okay? I'm going to give you a spoiler, so hope that's all right. I believe, biblically speaking, the main purpose of a devotional life is this. Regular, intentional time with God keeps you grounded in reality. Regular, intentional time with God keeps you grounded in reality. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for a new Sabbath of a new year. Thank you for Sabbath at GYC. Thank you for waking us up no matter how much or how little sleep we had. Thank you for the privilege and just the joy it is to be in your presence this morning. I pray that you would take distractions from us. I pray that you would take hesitancies or anything else that may cloud the mind and may we just see Jesus. May we be aware of your Holy Spirit teaching us. May we hear what he has to say and believe him. I pray that we would go this, from this place not with more information, 
or impressed by how certain words were said, but may we leave more convinced of Jesus' love and just naturally responding with more love to him. We trust that you will help this to be our experience because we ask confidently, because we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with me in your Bibles to Matthew 18. Matthew 18. When you're there, please say amen. Is nobody there? Okay, two people. Amen. We praise God. Matthew 18. When you're there, please say amen. 17 people. Let's do it. Matthew 18. It's hard to hear up here, you know, so I'm just guessing. Matthew 18. We're going to start in verse 21. This is what the Bible says. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Verse 24. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him how many talents? 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him what? A hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down to his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. One of the things I love about a lot of Jesus' parables is in case you didn't get it, he restates it clearly. And that's what happens at the end of this parable. In case you get distracted by the details, maybe it's about this, maybe it's about that. Jesus lets you know this is the point of this parable. It's what the king says to the servant. He doesn't say, why didn't you act this way? He says, why didn't you act this way after your experience with me? The problem wasn't you did the wrong thing, though that's true. The problem was you did the wrong thing after I showed you the right thing. After you experienced the compassion, you withheld that from someone else. Because this, this, is, this is the truth. Knowing what Jesus has done for you 
changes you. Knowing what Jesus has done for you changes you. When I was preparing this message, I almost added the word should there, of knowing what Jesus has done for you should change you. But that's as unnecessary as saying, when you jump in the water, you should get wet. That's like saying there's a possible, no, just when you jump in the water, you get wet, the end. That's just what happens, because it's water. And it's the same thing, saying, well, when you come to know Jesus, you should. That means there's a possibility it won't change you? No. If you haven't been changed, you don't know. That's the only option. If we are not changed in our lives, it's because we're unaware of what God has done. Maybe partially, maybe completely, but we don't know. Let's look closer at their interaction. Because I know from this passage that the unforgiving servant didn't know what the king did for him. You're like, Callie, come on. I mean, he was there. Of course he knows. Let me show you how I know. Let's go back to verse 24. How many talents did this servant owe the king? 10,000. Let's do some math. One talent is 6,000 denarii. One denarii is a day's work. So even if he worked 365 days a year, it would take over 164,000 years to pay the king back. So then tell me why his response was, have patience with me and I will pay you all. You're going to live longer than Methuselah? Like, what are you saying? That is mathematically insane. Have patience with me. No, you just need to beg for forgiveness because at this point, there is nothing you can do. But he, he just said, have patience with me. I got this. I just need time. I just need time and I'll figure it out and it'll all come together. See, his fellow servant owed him a hundred denarii. That actually can be paid back in a hundred days. That's that's doable. That's possible. That's small enough that you're like, yeah, that could reasonably be paid back. In the king's presence, the unforgiving servant seemed very humble, right? Just have patience with me. I will pay you all. I promise. Just give me enough time. But then he takes those same hands and puts them around his fellow servant's throat and says, don't you be asking me for patience. I'm going to throw you in jail until you give me everything that you owe me. That's why what Jesus has done for us changes us. Because without the understanding of what Jesus has done for us, when we're in the wrong, we're like, oh yeah, you know, generosity, grace. When we're wronged, we're like, no, we are 100% for justice right now. We want you to pay everything. And right this second, when we view ourselves as the only the offended, will be zealous for justice and hesitant in grace. When we view ourselves as only the person who I'm, I'm not like them, you know? Like I have my issues, sure, but they're like acceptable issues. I don't have those struggles. I mean, I love Jesus after all. We can say things to ourselves like, I would never do that. Even like hearing about their sin makes me uncomfortable. Like I just, I can't do that. But let's level the playing field with some reality checks, shall we? The Bible talks more 
about mutual respect and affection between spouses than it does about homosexuality. Amen. The Bible talks more about the far-reaching dangers of pride than it does about alcohol, tattoos, and piercings combined. But that's what we want to talk about. Did you see her skirt? Mm. Somebody hasn't been churched in a while. Did you see the piercings? And it was up here. Those are the ungodly ones. I saw her. This all came down. There was a tattoo. Maybe it's before Jesus. I'm just saying. I don't know. That's what we want to talk about. Do you know what the stories of the Old Testament focus on the most is pride? Not piercings or tattoos or alcohol. God wants to see godly marriages, not you condemning people who have desires different than your own. That is not what the Bible focuses on, but we like that because we don't want to think about the 10,000 talents we were forgiven for. We want to focus on the 100 denarii somebody owes us. Lord, it's, I mean, we're not, I'm just saying that they owe me something. I'm just saying it seems a lot worse. When I first studied this story, Jesus, Jesus came from my life. <laughs> when I first studied this story, Jesus is like, let me show you how this applies to your life, Callie. For context, I have a very good friend named Rodney Matambo. Hi, Rodney. Rodney's like a brother to me, and I mean that in the affectionate way, and I also mean that in he really gets on my nerves way. <laughs> and he knows that, and it's mutual. I got on his nerves too. And early on in our relationship, by God's grace, I've gotten better. Let me know if I'm wrong, Rodney. <laughs> early on in our relationship, I wasn't always very nice to him. But I'd be justified, right? Because Rodney's annoying, right? Like he'd ask thoughtless questions. And he'd say things. I'm like, dude, you're just doing that to be annoying. And so now, here's your consequence. I was justified. And this is what Jesus said to me. Callie owes God 10,000 talents. She owes perfect obedience to his law, a complete Christ-like character. But God forgives her, and she'd never be able to pay on her own. She appreciates this. Then she goes and finds Rodney, who owes her 100 denarii. He wrongs her and offends her, but instead of forgiving him and giving him that time to further grow into Christ, she fastens her hands around his throat with looks of displeasure, sarcastic words of censure, and withheld affection. Does Callie remember her own shortcomings? Does she remember that she herself once walked in these things, Colossians 3, 7? Thus, should she not follow the example she has been given by her divine king? If we have not been changed by the love of God, the answer isn't to try harder. Come up with lovingness by ourselves. Like, I will be loving. I will be loving. Like, those mantras, they, they don't work. The answer is to see what God has done for you. Ask him to show you in his word, by the power of his Holy Spirit, through other people, through object lessons, just living your life. And it's not a one and done. Like, I saw it. I'm good. Thank you so much. No, no, no. It's, it's a continual seeing. It's a continual unveiling. It's a continual understanding. Can I tell you about a miracle I'm experiencing at this very second? 
So I have been asked by Jesus, sometimes unwillingly on my part, to be publicly speaking for about 11 years now. And it used to terrify me. Specifically, I hated preaching the same spaces as Sebastian Braxton. (laughs) Ironic, right? Jesus is like, let me show you something. And that's because Sebastian's my favorite preacher. (laughs) I love Sebastian's sermons so much. And so if Sebastian's speaking, who am I to speak with Sebastian? I can't. He like quotes books I don't read. You know, like he just, and he's like, Jesus! And I'm like, I can't do that. I don't have the chop arm thing. Like I can't, I can't preach that way. I don't, I don't have the marine presence. Like I, I strive, you know, but I, I don't, I don't have that. I'm very conversational and I'm very much myself. <laughs> and I praise God for it now, but man, it used to terrify me. I remember we had to give a Bible study at the same place. He gave a Bible study in the afternoon and then I had to give a Bible study in the evening. I was beside myself with terror. I couldn't even, I couldn't even pray. I was just so scared because like people are going to know that I'm a terrible speaker. People are going to know that I'm not as good as Sebastian. And you know who comforted me? Sebastian's wife. <laughs> I said to Candace, she was like, why are you so stressed? And I'm like, I have to preach after Sebastian. She was like, okay. And I'm like, yeah, but like, I don't preach like Sebastian. She's like, and we praise God. (laughs) It's like, no, but I don't, she's like, Callie, Callie, you preach the way Jesus made you to preach. And that's what people need to hear. And so like all this, all three days, you know, people come to me backstage and I'm like, are you doing okay? I'm like, I am hyped to preach this morning. I am excited to preach this morning. So this, what you're, I'm experiencing right now is a straight up miracle. This is a miracle. This is just fun. We're just having a Bible study together. And I loved Sebastian's sermon last night and I don't preach like Sebastian and that's okay. And that's okay. But that didn't come immediately. I saw what Jesus did for me years ago, and now I see more of it. What I was missing at that point, you know, there's different things we miss on the different, it's like a prism, right? You see different angles of it. What I was missing at that time was I knew that Jesus had called me to preach. I knew that. But I was still missing that Jesus had enabled me to preach. That Jesus had given me my personality. It wasn't, it wasn't a mistake. I am who I am because Jesus made me this way. And that was the part that's only come through time. So we may see parts of it, but Jesus wants to have a continual revealing of who he is. Yes, I know Jesus died for me, but sometimes we're like, yeah, Jesus died for me, I get it, thanks. Listen, I'm up front, I don't even get it, okay? Like, we have layers to unpack. It's a continual, man, Jesus, what did you really do? Jesus like, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you this part of it now. It's a continual learning because the reality of what Jesus has done for you, the reality of what Jesus has done for me changes us always. If you can see that, please say amen. I want to tell you a story. I'm just going to tell you all my personal stories this morning, apparently. Jesus asked, I was like, we can give a euphemism version of the story. And he's like, nope. All right. So a few weeks ago, I realized something about myself, and that is I am terrified to have kids. 
I'm very scared to have children. There's different reasons for that. And it took me a while to, because I was kind of like, well, maybe I'm just not called to have kids. Some people are not called. Amen. You do not have to be a woman and have kids to be a woman of God. Amen. But for me, I couldn't tell, like, is it because I'm not called or is it because I'm terrified and pretending I'm not called? And so that's something I'm trying to figure out right now. But it took a while because that's a shameful thing for me to be able to admit to myself. But I now admit it to you, so it's easier, you know? Praise God. But it took a few days of crying and talking to Jesus about it in order for me to tell my husband. Now, we've talked about kids for a long time, but I didn't, and we've said, you know, later and different things, but it was, I never admitted how scared I am to myself or to him, because I didn't know. And so I was scared to tell him because it's like, well, maybe he wants a family and maybe this is going to be a rift in our relationship, you know? So after a few days, I told him. He was as loving as ever. I don't know why I forget that. He's, I don't know. That's weird. Loving as ever. Amen. We praise God for David Buruchara. <laughs> and he was fine and we we're good. And I let him read my journal because I just, I expressed myself really well in writing. So I was like, I just, I don't know how to express it. So just read this, please. <laughs> he's like, okay, I'll read this. And I don't share my journal with anyone. I just share my journal with him. And so had this vulnerable moment. It was beautiful. A few hours later, my husband's talking to someone on Zoom. And they want to say hi. It's a mutual friend of ours. They're like, hey, how's it going? I'm like, yeah, good, good. He's like, yeah, I heard you're scared to have kids. I couldn't breathe. In that moment, like, I always have something to say. I always have something to say. And I had nothing to say. I was like, mm-hmm. Yeah, in my head, I'm like, I'm going to kill David slowly. <laughs> But I was like, but I was also confused, right? Because that's not the man that I married. The man that I married is a vault. Like, he keeps everything that I tell him. So I'm like, I'm really mad and really hurt, but also really confused. But he's in this conversation, so I leave. I go to the room. I cry a lot. And then I message him and tell him in no uncertain terms that what he did was wrong. And why it was wrong, and I forgive him because I love Jesus, but I do not trust him right now. And I was like, we need to talk when you're done with your conversation. And so I'm in there and I'm like, Jesus, like, why would he do that? I was, I felt so betrayed. I felt so betrayed. David finally finishes up. He comes in the room and he's like, hey, did you see my text? I'm like, no. He's like, well, you should read it. And it starts out, babe, I really see why you're hurt and I'm really sorry. But I have to tell you, I didn't tell her anything what? But I just saw it. You totally did. I was there. Like, no, this is what had happened. Our friend has a new baby, and it's hard having a new baby. David and I have a new cat. Not the same. There's overlaps, but not the same. And so David had said to her, oh yeah, we have a new cat. I can't imagine having a new baby. And they extrapolated that and said, I heard you're not ready to have kids. It was the timing. David had not told my secret. David hadn't done anything. David was still the man that I married. Amen. My, in that moment, my hurt was real. My feelings of betrayal were real. But my perception of reality was not. 
I was hurt by who I thought David was. And who made me think David was someone different? Was it David? It was somebody else. Somebody else made me think David wasn't the man who I thought he was. And you know how that was fixed? I talked to David. I talked to David. So what I learned was you should feel your feelings. Absolutely, feel them. And then be comforted by reality. David was like, I could see, David is so compassionate, man. I just, I married the most compassionate man in the world. He's like, I see why you're hurt. And I'm like, you're the worst. (laughs) He's like, I can see why you think that. (laughs) I didn't say anything. (laughs) In that moment, it never occurred to me that David didn't say it because it was so clear. I just, I could only see one line. But David's like, "I, I didn't. And now in hindsight, I'm like, of course, that makes so much more sense. That's much more in line with the character of my husband. That makes a lot more sense. But in that moment, I couldn't see it, and so I needed to go to David and ask my questions. You guys know where I'm going. Other people sometimes mess up our view of God. And so we have to go to God and say, God, is this true? God, are you really like this? I need to hear it from the source. Our feelings give us data about our reactions to something, but our feelings are reactions, not reality. And I say that as the most emotional person that I personally know. I get it, feelings are loud. They are super loud, but they're just data. They're just telling you this is what you think is happening. I just want you to know that, but they're not reality. The reality is God isn't like the spiritually and otherwise abusive parent that you may have had. He understands why calling him father is a loaded term for you. He gets that, he's not offended by it in fact. He wants you to know the reality is you did not deserve to be treated that way. And he wants to show you the reality of who a father really is. God understands that you didn't get a clear picture of his love, so people are saying, Jesus loves you. You're like, cool, that means nothing. Jesus understands, and so he wants to show you the reality of his love. God understands why you have a hard time hearing Ellen White's writings, because they've been weaponized against you. Jesus gets that. He wants to heal that part of your heart and comfort you with reality. God understands why it's hard for you to trust him because you've been let down over and over and over again by the very people who are supposed to be constant. And so the idea of a constant God, you have no reference point. God's like, I get that. I would love to show you what that looks like. I would love to be your pattern of consistency. I would love to heal that part of your heart. God understands where you're coming from. Your hurt is real. Your feelings are meant to be felt. And he doesn't want to leave you there. He's like, I get it. And now I want to acquaint you with reality. If that makes sense, please say amen. I was recently talking to my friend, Belgrove. And he is studying aviation, which I know nothing about. So naturally, I asked him approximately a thousand questions about it. He was telling me about when you fly a plane, especially a helicopter, there are several situations where you can't trust yourself. One of them is called spatial disorientation. What is it called? Yes, spatial disorientation. Basically means spatially you are disoriented, right? Very clear. You can't tell where you are, like how close you are to the ground or how fast you're going, like are you turning? We don't really know. We're just kind of floating in this 
space. Normally you can be oriented by three things in your body. One is your eyes, right? You can see the horizon, see the ground, see that building over there. You have these organs in your inner ear. Don't ask me to explain them, but they're there. And they help you have a sense of balance. Other things like gravity, feeling, sound, these nerves throughout your body, they kind of give you like a sense of where you are. If your body gives you conflicting messages, your eyes take over, like I got it from here. I know you don't feel like you're doing this, but I can see you're doing this, so you're doing this. And your body's like, okay, I understand. We obey the eyes. But what if you're flying through clouds? You can trust your inner ear thing, right? Like the nerves, like your senses. Actually, you can't. When you spin, you know like when you were a little kid or me like a week ago, when you sit in a, in a chair and you spin really, really fast, then you stop, but you don't feel like you stopped, right? It's, your, your body's still catching up with what happened. The same thing happens in the opposite. If you are turning or spinning for so long, your body eventually is like, this is just normal. I'm not spinning. You are spinning, but you don't feel it. Your body can't feel it anymore. So it feels like you're going straight, but you're still in that turn. And so you make decisions accordingly. In those situations, reality has not changed. Only your perception of it has. Sometimes we give our feelings and our sensations too much credit. I don't feel like God accepts me. Ephesians 1, 6, 6 says you're accepted in the beloved. I feel like God is just so like far from me. Acts 17, 27 says that God is not far from any one of us. You know, God's only showing me this about myself because he hates me. Revelation 3, 19. No, whom he loves, he chases and rebukes. My devotional life used to have this vicious cycle. I'd spend time in God's presence, and I'm like, man, God is the best. He loves me so much. This is amazing. And then I got busy, and I stopped having devotions for a few days. And then I'm like, man, God hates me. I'm the worst, man. Like, I can't even have consistent devotions. Jesus is probably like, man, I get this girl to speak, and then she ignores me. Like, she's the worst. Reality hasn't changed. Only my perception of it has because then I come back into God's presence and I'm like, no, he still loves me. <laughs> I forgot. But it kept happening. And I've been having devotions for like 11 years. The only thing that changed was when I realized reality hadn't changed. Only my perception of it has. I don't live in this magical place where I always feel like I'm in God's presence. I don't live in this magical place where I always feel like God loves me and, and he accepts me. But I do live in a place where I'm learning just because I feel something doesn't make it true. Reality hasn't changed. Only my perception of it has. So in that helicopter, helicopters fly through clouds, right? I mean, the movies, they do. And they do in real life too. I checked. I asked people. And so what are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to just always be grounded? Sometimes you can't fly. Because there's something called instrument meteorological conditions. Instrument meteorological conditions. It means you can't see, you can't trust your senses, but so what are you supposed to use? Your instruments. You may feel like you're going straight, but your instruments say you're doing this. 
And it is an act of faith to be like, I don't feel like this is true. (laughs) But I believe my instruments. I believe what this is telling me, even though the sensations in my body are telling me I'm about to crash into the ground. But you trust your instruments. Sometimes what God says to us is so clear. And we're just like, yeah, I see that. I feel it in my inner ear. <laughs> I feel it. I see it in my eyes. I, I completely agree with you. Yes, Jesus, absolutely, 100%, yes. And then sometimes God tells us something and we're like, no. I'm not seeing what you're saying. God's like, yes, you are blessed. You are covered with my righteousness. I mean, I don't feel very righteous. Yes, you have been given my Holy Spirit. I don't really understand how that works. And we ask these questions, but I don't, I don't really get it. I don't, I don't see how you're doing that. We are flying in instrument meteorological conditions. You can only trust the word of God. You can only trust the Holy Spirit, what God has taught you, what you know to be true, even when you can't feel it, even when your feelings are desperate to tell you something else. In order to fly in these conditions, a pilot must have what's called an instrument rating. It means they're licensed to fly just by their instruments. But this is great, right? They can fly further. They can go more places because they can fly in harsher conditions. God wants to put that instrument rating on our faith. God doesn't want you to say, I can only take you places that you can see. I can only convince you things that you can feel in your gut. You're like, yeah, that resonates as true. God wants to say, yeah, when you can't see it, when you're flying in clouds and you can't see anything, you can still see what I'm telling you and you are able to ignore your senses. You're able to ignore the condemnation of self. You're able to ignore what other people are saying to you, next to you, and you just read your instruments. I believe you, God. I believe what you're saying. Not because I feel it, but because I've learned to trust you. No matter the conditions. Trust your instruments. Trust the God who loves you. That makes sense. Please say amen. Go with me in your Bibles to our scripture reading. Romans 5. Romans 5, Romans 5. If you're there, please say amen. 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 This is what it says. I love this passage so much. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I just want you, um, this is, so I used to be an English teacher, so bear with me. I just want you to notice the tenses of these verbs. It is all past and present, all of it. Therefore, having been justified, we have peace with God through our Lord. Not we will one day when Jesus comes back, we'll finally, no, we have peace this very second 
We have been justified. It's not a future. We have. It has already taken place. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We're standing in grace right now. <laughs> and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. We can do that even now. Verse five, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Your faith doesn't make God love you. It accepts that he loves you. Faith is accepting that which is true even if you didn't accept it. Faith is trusting your instruments because they're never wrong. And so faith is believing what is already true from the source that is always right. Let's circle back. What is the purpose of a devotional life? Regular, intentional time with God keeps you grounded in reality. It gives you that instrument rating on your faith. It allows you to see, I know what is true, even when stuff tells me it's not true. Sometimes they're in alignment. Sometimes you can see the horizon. Sometimes you're flying in really clear conditions. That's great. But when those clouds roll in, you don't freak out. You have an instrument rating on your faith. It's all right. I know what to do. I might not feel the same way, but I'm able to fly just as far, if not further, because I know God is with me, because I know I can trust the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. The purpose of communing with God is not to make God like you. He already does. To make God love you. He already does. To save you. Jesus' righteousness has that covered. To earn you favor. I don't believe I'm saved, but like God likes me. Nope. It's given to you freely. The purpose of communing with God is to spend time with the God of the universe. To invest in the most fulfilling relationship there is to rest in his love, to learn and grow and trust, to be grounded in reality, no matter the weather conditions. So regular, I'm just going to keep saying it, man, you're going to have this in your dreams. Regular, intentional time with God keeps you grounded in reality. Knowing what Jesus has done for you changes you. Feel your feelings and then be comforted by reality. Reality hasn't changed, only your perception of it has. And faith is believing what is already true from the source that is always right. If you take anything, just one thing, from our morning time together, let it be this. God loves you so all-consumingly much, and there is absolutely nothing you can do about that. All that you can do is believe it. And by believing it, we naturally live it and Jesus is glorified. As GYC wraps up today, you may be leaving certain people or certain things behind, but you are not leaving Jesus behind. Jesus goes home with you. Jesus is coming with you. This same Jesus who spoke to you at GYC, the same Jesus who has comforted you and challenged you and given you a new experience, he is not the God relegated to GYC. He is the God of Taya, of Cherish, of Kathy, of Lucille, 
of Jules, of Josh, of Andrew, of Ashley and Jason. He is the God of the individual, and he goes with you. One more practical application before we part ways. I want to give you an invitation, even before I say that. This isn't a challenge. This isn't a New Year's resolution. This isn't a streak challenge. This is an invitation. Have meaningful devotions for the rest of your life. I invite you to let Jesus love you the rest of your life. I invite you to spend time with God in prayer and in his word and acquainting yourself with reality for the rest of your life. Even when you skip a day or a month or a year or in whatever time, whatever. Jesus is there. He didn't go anywhere. Jesus is available. Just remember the longer you spend away is the longer you lose touch with reality. But all that needs to change is you reacquaint yourself with reality. So ask Jesus what false realities you may be living in. Jesus, why do I believe that? What does his word say? Talk with Jesus about this lie and ask him to implant the truth in your heart and mind and then live in reality. Glorious, glorious reality. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the things that you've taught us. Thank you for the God that you are and thank you that there's absolutely nothing we could ever do to affect, to change your love for us. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you desire to hear us in prayer. And Lord, whether we've had devotions for years, whether we've never even heard that word properly used before, I just pray that we'd go from this place encouraged, convinced of your love for us, and that we would have meaningful devotions for the rest of our lives because it's just what we do. Because we trust you, because we want to be grounded in reality, and because we're in love with you. Thank you for all these blessings. We trust that you will make this our experience every day because we ask this with confidence. In the name of Jesus Christ himself, amen. This message was recorded at the GYC Conference, Nothing, in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to challenge and inspire young people to take sacrificial initiative for Christ and to see Jesus finish the work in this generation. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.